Welcome to Asset Yield, the podcast series of Kinsteller's Asset Solutions Sector, where we speak with principal investors, advisors, and funders in the world of non-performing and non-core assets of all classes, bringing you frontline market insights in real time. Welcome to Asset Yield. We're here this afternoon with Brian Turner, who comes to us from Bulgaria by way of Kansas. Brian is a director at Resolute Asset Management. Brian, delighted to have you. Hi, Denise. Thanks for having me on. This is a nice initiative. Before we get down into the nitty gritty, how does a nice boy from Kansas end up in Bulgaria? And what do you do at Resolute Asset Management? The story of Kansas to Bulgaria is a longer one than this podcast will allow and usually requires something a bit stronger than green tea to sip on (laughs) while the story is being retold. Long story short, I arrived in 2005. I started working shortly thereafter for an American property developer, bounced around from property developer, spent a bit of time after 2008 working in Paris for a few years just to improve my French, and then moved back to Bulgaria where I was working for another property developer and we were building and developing and managing shopping malls and residential complexes in Bulgaria and a little bit in some of the neighboring countries around Bulgaria. I joined Resolute in almost exactly six years ago, maybe even to the day. Congratulations, happy anniversary. Thank you, thank you very much. Resolute at the time had landed a large multi-year mandate with a Greek bank in Bulgaria and Romania. They needed apparently an American from Kansas to run their Bulgaria office for them. Resolute Asset Management based in London. We are distressed real estate asset managers and our clients are typically banks, private equity, institutional investors who are, if you're a bank, you're either, let's say, an unwilling owner of real estate problems, either in the collateral form on the non-performing loan side, or once those have been onboarded onto the bank's balance sheet, the real estate-owned REO field. So we work with banks both on the loan side, loan and collateral side, as well as on the REO side. And then we also work with institutional investors on providing underwriting and portfolio management and then portfolio pricing. Then assuming our client wins a bid for the portfolio, we then like to work with our clients on managing and monetizing those portfolios on their behalf. These can be assets, anything from plots of land to underperforming shopping malls, class A office buildings and small apartments in the middle of nowhere. So everything in between. Brian, thank you for that. You have a very interesting perspective because you have worked on both the prime asset side of the business as well as now the distressed asset side of the business, uh, which gives you a very holistic view of the market in general. Moreover, as I understand that while you are based in Bulgaria, you have somewhat broader geographical uh, scope in that you also cover the Western Balkans, in particular Serbia. Is that correct? That's correct. We don't yet have an office in Serbia, but we have, on behalf of various clients, done some work in Serbia. We've done some work in Albania. We've participated in a portfolio underwriting exercise in Croatia, well, across the region, actually. 
I do get across to those jurisdictions quite a bit. And we would love to have an office in Belgrade, but it's going to be mandate driven. We're not going to open an office and hope work comes in. Before the world economy ground to a halt with corona or before the world slipped off of its axis, maybe you could give us a sort of bird's eye view of how the market was going in Bulgaria in particular, but also just generally in the region that you were covering, Mm -hmm. uh, particularly in the distressed asset area. So prior to COVID, we were trucking along, preparing our portfolios, getting the pricing right getting them legally cleaned to be sold, getting them physically and technically repaired and cleaned. You and I work in this sort of gritty world, but not everybody listening will understand exactly what you're doing. So I like the concept that it's literally cleaning, but what exactly are you doing to these thousand brick and mortar pieces of real estate? So we will take the entire portfolio and segment it based on asset type, asset location, based on that asset type and that asset location, we call liquidity scoring. And then that helps us come up with our pricing. We start with our pricing, but then we're physically inspecting each one of these assets as well, because sometimes they've been damaged by the previous borrower on their way out, or just because they've been a part of the bank's books for 10 years. After that much time, you need to clean them. You need to physically repair them. Sometimes there's broken windows. And just to give access to brokers and buyers, we do physically prepare the portfolio. So your portfolio, first of all, ranges from studio flats, residential studio flats, all the way to office buildings and factories and, you know, commercial space, logistics centers and so on. And you're doing not only desk valuations, but you're actually physically going and turning around the assets. And so as we came into this unusual period, you seem to have been quite busy, it sounds like. Yes, it was busy because not only are we doing a desktop analysis of what we think the price might be for each individual asset, but we're also compiling a database of comparable transactions Mm -hmm. because just to be quite clear, Resolute, we are not valuers. We're not going to follow a RICS methodology of valuing industrial asset in the middle of nowhere because we're going to look at it on a liquidity basis saying, okay, there might be a Rick's formula to value this asset, but then we're looking at who's going to buy it in the next three months. Who's going to buy it in the next six months. So you're really looking at it in a very holistic context and a very environment specific context. Well, exactly. I mean, we're trying to expedite the sales as well. We're trying to speed up the process. Mm -hmm. So if we follow a typical valuation, or a book value on the bank, and it might be outdated, it's likely going to be overpriced. What we'll do, especially in the absence of a lack of comparable data, is in the Western Balkans and in Bulgaria, Romania, parts of Greece, certainly Serbia, there is no comparable data for an abandoned warehouse on the outskirts of a small town in the middle of nowhere. Right. So a lot of times we will speak to brokers and local businesses. And sometimes the, the conversation is, what do you think you could sell it for in three <laughs> to six months? Knowing that the broker is going to be aligned because the broker wants a fee. And so the broker needs to tell us what they think they can sell that asset for, but within a limited time frame. So a lot of times 
it's as simple as getting that feedback from the market because likely if all the banks owned was residential apartments in Sofia or Belgrade, they wouldn't need us. Right. So you come in and you do the difficult, the dirty work. Try to touch every asset, every piece of real estate. That's even on the little stuff. We have a 55,000 square meter shopping mall, mixed use shopping mall office building on the Black Sea coast of Varna. That's a large, that's at the part of the same mandate that presents a whole nother unique set of problems for us to look at. First of all, I'm fascinated by just the vision of you on a bus trundling across Bulgaria with a bunch of your colleagues peeking in remote corners. That I can't even unsee. We're not that price conscious. (laughs) But it's interesting on a sort of a, a more macro level that you felt that the market was quite frothy or busy before Corona in the distressed area because there's a countervailing group of people who feel that by the end of 2019 in our neighborhood, neighborhood, uh, Central and Eastern and Southeastern Europe, we'd really come to an end of, dare I say, product, I'll call it product, that really the distressed asset market was consolidating, condensing, the banks had cleaned a lot of their books in the preceding eight years or so, and that there really was a diminution of activity. But you feel differently. We're talking about two different things. I think you're talking about portfolio buys versus individual asset activity within those portfolios. Whether it's an institutional buyer who now owns a multi-asset granular portfolio, which they bought from a bank somewhere in the Balkans at 50 cents on the dollar, since COVID have obviously either stopped, slowed down, or are put on hold. But on an individual basis, just at the retail level, there are still individual apartments and plots of land and ground floor retail that are in the markets, they're in the property portals. In Resolute across Romania and Bulgaria, we manage you know, nearly 60 brokers that, have, that give us nationwide and regional coverage. So that's what I mean about plenty of work to be done in terms of preparing these individual mm-hmm. granular portfolios on behalf of the owners of these large portfolios. Interesting, interesting. And this is the lead up to Corona. And has this same quantity of work continued right through the various lockdowns and quarantines and, you know, world falling off its axis that we've all experienced? Or have you seen a slowdown? Have you seen a change in the work? Sure. I would be silly to try to convince you that the level of offers has been the same or that there's been an uptick in activity. It's just simply not the case. For us, we have seen a slowdown in offers received and or deals closed. Having said that, prior to COVID, we had a number of sales which were in the pipeline. So a lot of Resolute's workload, for example, in Bulgaria, has been to, let's say, tend to those buyers who had offers already going through the process, meaning from the point of signing preliminary contract on whatever piece of real estate they were buying. And many of them had already paid a deposit. So a lot of our work was after the state of emergency started in Bulgaria was dealing with these buyers on an individual basis. Fortunately, through the good work of our team, we didn't lose too many. I assume this was happening in other regions with other portfolios of granular real estate, but we were working with individual buyers who, if they required bank financing, 
either they asked us, can we sign an annex to the preliminary agreement delaying this until dot, 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 until we know a bit more, until we know the bank's going to finance this purchase. That was taken on a case-by-case -case basis. But in terms of sales, yeah, in Bulgaria, obviously the offers have, they haven't dried up, but year on year, an article came out today that April this year compared to April last year, yeah, 50% down. 50%. Interesting. You raise an interesting point, which kind of segues into the next step of our conversation. Obviously, pending transactions, as you said, many of them have continued. And this is true not only in Bulgaria, but across the entire CSEE region. But what you're pointing out is that a lot of buyers have included now financing contingencies, whereas that was not an issue before, because of course, banks are a bit more hesitant, or let's put it this way, a lot of the financing has been sort of frozen right now while banks evaluate their liquidity positions and in general, the macro and microeconomics. Last year, I think in August, we kind of reached the whole apex of office space, office madness, and so on with the WeWork scenario. And I guess that kind of brought the whole how do people work now concept into relief and people really started thinking about that. And I guess now we're going to start thinking about it again because a lot of these open spaces for people to work and just in general offices were premised on a different business model. How do you see the whole commercial real estate sector coming out of COVID, in particular office space? Well, in particular office space, just a quick snapshot in Bulgaria, in the office tower that we're managing in Varna, which is a secondary office destination, April and May, we had 100% success in collecting full rent. So the office tenants and talking to various contacts and ex-colleagues and friends in Sofia, they also had a fairly high success rate collecting from office tenants. Now, now retail is a whole other discussion. Yeah, we'll, we'll get we to that. We'll get to that. that. <laughs> yeah. We can dive into that. So far, office space, we've seen the tenants are paying. Perhaps it might be different in other jurisdictions where I'm not fully aware. But in Bulgaria, the state of emergency, the government did not, they did not ban going to work. So that wasn't part of the state of emergency. So if you wanted to go to your office, you could. I think maybe some tenants were able to, to negotiate discount based on social distancing, saying, look, we can only have 50% of our office for the next couple of months. Can we only pay 50% of the rent? I believe that was happening. But going forward, I can pontificate just like everyone else in the world is doing right now. And I don't know if I'm going to say anything unique, but I think... We'll see the next six months is going to be sort of like a first date. It's going to be, what are they doing? This is awkward. Should I? No, I shouldn't. Maybe no. So it's going to be a bit, you know, like an eighth grade first date where no one really knows, you know, how this is going to play out. I think if there's a vaccine by the end of the year, that really depends. If we go back to a vaccine, you see after 9-11 and you see after 2008, people have very short memories. People forget the news fairly quickly. I was reading something the other day about 9-11, where then we were going to start seeing immediately, everyone's going to go to suburban office space. And maybe they did for a bit, but then that quickly reversed. And then now it was more the urban 
office space that was back in style. But you raise a good point, the analogy with 9-11, because actually after 9-11, lower floors were more expensive than higher floors in office buildings. So it's quite interesting, those short-term changes. <laughs> I think the short-term changes, and people have short-term memories, those of us who work in offices the last two to three months have realized that I am you know, 80 to 85% as efficient working from home as I was from the office. And I think our owners of our companies and the CEOs of our companies and the decision makers are realizing that as well. So I don't yet know if this is going to be the death knell of the office space, but maybe it'll be companies will still want the office space, but I think companies will use the office space differently. Interesting. How do you mean? Meaning let's have it as our clubhouse. Meaning, Denise, you and I work together. You stay at home, I'll stay at home. But you know what? Thursdays, let's go in and have some fun. And we turn it into more of a, a place to hang out and to catch up. Because I think what people missed during this time off or time away from the office, I should say, is that interaction and that social combustion idea sharing and what can happen. Just the motivation of having that energy of your coworkers around. So it's almost like we'll continue with this open space, open plan, seating that kind of the WeWork concept, but just less less people. <laughs> Maybe less people there every day. It could. And look, I mean, it's just one idea yeah. um, that I've heard businesses discuss. It's yet to be seen if the rent levels would be the same, but essentially you're going to take your class A tenants who are going to still require the same space, but they're going to use it differently. Either it's going to be completely spread out so that it's absolutely feasible to do the two-meter social distancing at work, or they completely revamp it and it turns into a clubhouse or a place to hang out with your coworkers. What we're hearing from the states, from the behemoths like Amazon and, and mm -hmm. Google and so on, is that they're going to reconfigure the locations of the space because if people can be working from home, then they can be working from sort of offices, but in remote locations, maybe a variation on the suburban concept, but even not suburban, but exurban, or they could be sitting in Varna in an office. Not everybody has to be mm -hmm. sitting in the middle of Sofia. There could be those changes. Can you please tell Google then that I have plenty of disused industrial space in the middle of nowhere in Bulgaria that I could sell them? <laughs> This is what I was leading to. My next question for you was going to be, do you see an entire boom now of sort of remote working from, from formerly considered frontier locations, uh, not only for call centers, but you know, for really uh, core work? Well, I think realistically, we in Bulgaria, Romania, and the Western Balkans, well, maybe less Romania, but Bulgaria and the Western Balkans, they're still just not the populations in these secondary cities to be attractive too much. There are two or three other cities in Bulgaria where that's feasible, maybe two in Serbia, but that's a stretch. Certainly not in Albania, Northern Macedonia. So yeah, it, gets, yeah. it, it really is a capital city play. Office space is different to retail space where you need the foot traffic. What do you see happening in the retail market in our neighborhood? There's no question it is going to be a challenge going forward. What we're saying is likely the retail operators who were smarter before COVID-19, meaning they were already adjusting 
to this new world that retail had been looking at for the last five to 10 years due to the online retail space crowding them out. So I think you'll see the stronger retailers who were already positioning themselves to compete with the online market, they are the ones who are going to come out of here a bit, I don't want to say unscathed, but they will survive. Then I think there's the group of retailers who are struggling to hold on anyway, and they will really struggle to come out of the COVID-19. So the group of retailers who were struggling against the online space, this is not good for them. This is a double hit for them, for sure. What about the big box stores, the IKEA type of stores? There's rumors in the market that they're going to move to a smaller, well, they already started doing this in some jurisdictions, not completely discarding the big box, but setting up uh, smaller stores in city centers that are both uh, checkpoints to pick up goods that are ordered online, but also kind of showrooms, but smaller showrooms. Um, Do you see that whole model changing as well? You said it. It's already happening. I think we both read the same article and saw the same photo of that unit of IKEA in the center of Vienna that they're doing more of a showroom style, sort of like a, a physical catalog, right? I think is the concept. And we've even seen that in Bulgaria. IKEA is doing that in Bulgaria. So yeah, absolutely. I believe that's coming. The other areas that will be interesting to watch will be the luxury retail, because I think that luxury retail has a heavy reliance on travel and tourism, meaning luxury retail in, in Sofia is relying on foreigners coming in and shopping or the top 1% of buyers in Bulgaria. So I think the luxury retail space should be careful, given its reliance mm-hmm. on travel and tourism. They should survive. It's more the what we're worried about. It's the zombie the high street store that should have gone out of business years ago anyway. Uh, yeah, yeah. Last time I was in Sofia, just before the whole corona crisis, I was in a one of your larger malls there. It's one of the IKEA malls, which backs into a rather affluent residential area. And the idea there was they really had had trouble getting anchor tenants. They had transformed an entire floor of the the mall into a sort of destination activity center. There was a go-kart track, cinemas, restaurants, paintball, and so on. So it's almost like the the shopping is uh, ancillary to the whole activity. And the idea, I guess, is to keep people in the mall, you know, even past store closing hours and to make it kind of a, a destination. Are you seeing that kind of movement in your region? Yeah, that's across the Western world, isn't it? That's across the world and with shopping malls and, and retail with a, yeah. with a shift to a focus on entertainment. Because if you look at Sophie alone, I mean, the competitive positioning, it's difficult with, depending on when you start and stop counting what makes up a shopping mall. I mean, there's 10 to 12 shopping malls in Sofia alone. And you're talking about the poorest capital city in the EU with 12 shopping malls. So the competitive position, it is very important, especially because that mall you mentioned is within a 10-minute drive of five other large shopping malls. So that space is becoming more and more competitive. The problem with COVID is it doesn't matter if you have Disney World inside of your shopping mall. It's still inside of a shopping mall, so you can't use it. So I think those types of competitive strategic decisions. First of all, they're expensive to repurpose your mm-hmm. entertainment to meet the requirements of a post-corona non-vaccine world where 
either you have to have outdoor seating with appropriate amount of distancing, or you adjust your business model and, and, and realize that, you know, your business model might have to take into account two months of no activity, two months of zero revenue. Bulgaria has had a lot of investment, as has Central and Eastern Europe in general, from South African REITs. How are they faring in this? Because the South Africans have invested very heavily in the retail sector. Are they in for the long haul, or are they beginning to uh, reconsider the wisdom of their investment? I haven't heard sort of any market rumors or any, I don't have any inside track on the South African REITs in terms of what they are strategically thinking. I do know that a few of the South African assets in Sofia particularly have just prior to COVID-19 recently finished various refurbishments and upgrades to parts of their shopping centers in Sofia. So there's two things. The shopping malls are back open. So, okay, not at the same revenues prior to COVID, but now they're, they're at least able to transact again. And secondly, in Bulgaria, like many other countries in Europe, there is the loan moratorium for six months. So what we think is South African REITs, institutional investors, banks, they are spending and they should spend the next six months undertaking several scenario analysis, portfolio segmentation, and active portfolio management across their, across their portfolios. How do you see us exiting from COVID? You raise a very important point. We're all in a sort of suspended animation right now to some extent because of the moratoria and enforcement deferrals. However, those will expire depending on the jurisdiction, six months in Bulgaria, uh, three months in other jurisdictions, and some are continuing even longer. Once that happens, banks will be able to, well, they should be doing it now, as you say, but they will be able to very clearly assess the COVID damage and see exactly what's happening to their loan portfolios. What do you see? I mean, I'm not asking you to gaze into your crystal ball, but do you have some thoughts about what it's going to look like in Q3 or Q4, different scenarios that you're actually factoring into your own analysis? What we're communicating to our clients and the message we're trying to get out to the market is to, while we have these moratoria in place, now is the time to take a very honest look at your loan portfolios and execute what we're metaphorically calling triage, meaning look at your loan books to clearly identify which loans, borrowers, collaterals are still viable, which of those are still viable but might require some flexibility on timing and interest amounts, for example. Number three, which of those require a material restructuring and debt forgiveness, which then requires quite a considerable investment in management, time, and financial commitment. And then the, the fourth one is, but they're just not viable. Most of the, let's say, bandwidth are probably going to be focusing on the positions which require flexibility on timing and interest amounts, and the, the more hands-on restructuring debt forgiveness, which then in turn require hands-on management more investment, those types of decisions need to be made now so they're not stuck behind the market when, when the moratoriums are lifted. 
the impression uh, we have is that we're all kind of frozen right now in some respects, but this is different to 2008. This is not a financial crisis. This is a health crisis. And in fact, there's a lot of dry powder out there in the investment world. Banks are liquid. Investors are liquid. So that, as you said yourself, if this is vaccine matter, we may have a V-shaped recovery. And with some flexibility in the banks, the market may not actually be flooded with REOs and various real estate assets. Is that your thought or do you have a different view? We're slightly different. We're not sure what the recovery what shape or what letter the recovery is going to look like. We're a bit more muted on, you know, likely two, three years. The issue with the V-shape is that you have to keep into account, you have to remember, prior to COVID-19, banks across Europe still had roughly 600 billion euros of legacy MPLs on their books from 2008. So now, we're, now we have a backlog of the 2008 MPLs coming in to the same pool of likely to be new NPLs created from the COVID-19 situation, again, three to six months from now, depending on how long the duration of the loan moratorium. So, so we're a little more cautious about you know, talking about V-shaped recoveries. This is the second severe crisis with you know, 600 billion euros of legacy assets left unresolved. No, you're absolutely correct on that. I guess the burden of that and then the knowledge of that will force banks to be somewhat circumspect on the way they deal with the current loan situation, because you, we certainly don't want to increase that. On the other hand, what does come to the market will likely be, let's put it this way, realistically priced. There'll be a new dynamic all around. These loan moratoriums are giving the banks right now a little bit of breathing room to make, let's hope, more thoughtful decisions. And those thoughtful decisions is where we're saying they need to do serious level of scenario analysis, portfolio segmentation, as I mentioned earlier with our triage metaphor. But, you know, segmenting their books by borrowers, by type, by risk, by is the borrower professional, is the borrower investing in their asset there's a whole number of scenarios and a whole number of portfolio segmentations you can look at. What about all these buildings, uh, office buildings, residential buildings currently under construction? You know, those are the banks now have to look at what do we know about the builder? Should we draw down the next construction finance payment? These are um, scenarios banks should be busy preparing right now. That's the benefit of your developer background. You're looking at everything quite holistically. I can find the developer in Sofia that needs to sell 20 apartments quickly at a severe discount so he can get that next drawdown so I can buy an apartment cheaper. <laughs> There's always an angle. This brings me to your holistic view, which is that not only have you been in the world of prime and the world of distress, you're advising originators and sellers, but you're also advising investors, buyers of these assets too, aren't you? Uh, yeah, sure, sure, of course, of course, across Europe. The larger portfolio buys are not happening in my direct region of the Balkans, but we have Resolute has teams in Cyprus and Greece and Italy and Spain and Portugal. So those are large portfolio markets right now. Well, before COVID mm -hmm. they were. And what we're seeing now is a slowly, slowly approach, trying to feel out what the market is going to do. So either on hold or going slow.
on hold pending repricing probably pending deals were are probably pending being repricing repriced. Which not, you know no one's really sure how those are going to be repriced there's been some news about a couple of the portfolios in Greece but i think the investors now are sort of like the banks running various scenario analyses where they're reviewing their investment metrics yes and yes and again i think you have to look at the asset type and the concentration of asset type and collateral type on the books. So obviously if you're um, looking at a portfolio buy of largely retail and hospitality assets, you're probably, you're going to take the garden shears to your initial pricing. You and I can uh, probably go out and buy a few hotels just on our MX cards right now. (laughs) But this takes us back to, I guess, the top of our conversation, which is that, you know, while you were very busy, while Resolute asset management were quite busy at the end of 2019 and have continued to be busy, not as robustly, but certainly busy through the corona crisis. This whole crisis will bring a lot more product and activity to the market at the back end. And I expect that we will all be a lot busier come uh, Q3, Q4. And Q1 2021 as well. Yes. That's true. I mean, being in the distressed real estate space, by definition, kind of puts Resolute in a counter-cyclical market. So yes, we anticipate being quite busy in in sort of the second half of this year and obviously next year. But at at the same time, we're staying quite busy now having these conversations with the banks about looking at their portfolios and various scenarios and segmentations and, and talking to them about how we might be of use. Brian Turner, Director of Resolute Asset Management. It's been a pleasure speaking with you today. Very much enjoyed your insights on the CSEE distressed and prime real estate sector. Delighted to have you and thanks very much for your input. Thank you, Denise. I really appreciate the time that you have given us and Constellar have given us. And again, to anyone listening, this is a health crisis, so I hope everyone out there is staying safe and being smart.